0: Hey Sis! From coast to coast, we're bridging the gap between the cisgender and transgender community, creating meaningful dialogue and space to learn and grow.
1: Join us as we connect with our community, break down tough conversations, and get comfortable being better humans.
0: Welcome to Hey Sis! My name is Isaac Cook, I use they, he pronouns, and I am a trans non-binary social scientist from Atlanta, Canada.
1: And I'm Sin Sweeney. I use she, her pronouns, and I'm a journalist, educator, and a parent of a trans child. And together, we're breaking down the binary and building better humans one conversation at a time. So the Rhodes Scholarship was established through the will of Cecil John Rhodes in 1902. It is fully funded, full-time, postgraduate award, which enables talented young people from around the world to study at the University of Oxford in England. According to the Rhodes Trust, the overall global acceptance rate stands at only about 0.7%, making it one of the most competitive scholarships in the world. And it's worth repeating, the global acceptance rate is 0.7%. It's uber competitive. However, over the years, the Rhodes Scholarship has not been without controversy for excluding Black people, excluding women, and many others. And for its name, commemorating a South African leader who once introduced legislation to push Black residents from their land. But today, we're celebrating. We're gonna be talking all about that, but with the current stats surrounding the percentage of trans Canadians almost paralleling that 0.7% rate, imagine the odds of being named the first transgender woman in Canada to be the recipient of this prestigious Rhodes Scholarship. Well, today's guest knows exactly what beating those odds feels like.
0: Today, Sin and I are joined by Julia Levy, she, her, a recent Rhodes Scholarship recipient, Julia is a recent graduate from the University of Victoria, also known as UVic, located in Western Canada on Vancouver Island with an honors in chemistry and a minor in visual arts. In addition to her lab research at UVic and the University of Bristol, Julia has worked with a nonprofit for gender diverse youth, Gender Generations Project, as a director and trans mentor. She is excited to pursue a master's in theoretical and computational chemistry and education, digital and social change, and hopes to leverage this work to continue to develop educational software that improves learning outcomes for students of all backgrounds. Julia is hoping to be able to take these ideals to Oxford and use the education offered by the Rhodes Scholarship to make positive impacts in the community she is connected with. Welcome to HIS, Julia. Hey, it's good to be here. We're happy to have you. So let's begin perhaps with a Haysys foundational question. Where do you currently reside and where do you call home?
2: Yeah, so I grew up in Vancouver, which is on the Musqueam and Squamish and Slave Nations. But I, so I grew up in Vancouver, and that's where I am right now. But I went to school at the University of Victoria, and so I call, you know, Victoria home. But that's, of course, on the Wukwungan people's lands and the Wasonic peoples and the Esquimalt peoples' lands. I've always been like a BC gal, and that's kind of old, really all I've lived, although technically I'm living in Berlin right now. I'm actually, I leave tomorrow to fly back there. And then I guess I'll be in the UK for a while. <laughs> and then who knows where I'm sort of, I'm sort of in this weird uprooted state right now where, you know, moved out of my place in Victoria and I don't really, I just actually moved out my childhood bedroom yesterday. Um, and now I'm kind of moving out properly to a, to a new city again.
1: Oh, it's so, so. exciting. You're like a citizen of yeah. the world right now. I, I, <laughs> That's a a romantic way of putting it. (laughs) I think when I found you, uh, after I'd seen the article and I'm like, oh, we need to talk to Julia, you were in Germany at the time and some people within the department at U of Vic were really nice to say we're not connecting you, but we will track her down and see if she wants to talk to you. So that was mm-hmm. that was great. Thank you for uh, for getting back to us. And we want to hear all about this Rhodes Scholarship. I just want to like back it up to the moment when you first heard. And we're wondering like, okay, so how how did you hear the news? Like, what do they knock on your door? Do they phone your
2: cell? Was it how did that happen? Do they do interviews, and then on the same day they do like interviews during the day and everyone gets interviewed and then they finish the interviews at like four and then they call you at 5 p.m. with who got it um and so and I and I was I was convinced after my interview that I didn't get it absolutely convinced partially because the other candidates were so incredible and partially because the questions they were asking me thought that maybe the other candidates were more applicable for what the questions they were asking so I came out convinced I wasn't going to get it was like watching tv to distract myself and then I get a call, and my I guess the first thing I said was, "You're kidding me," or like, "I, I like I did not expect that." <laughs> so it was a real lovely surprise on that front. So it
1: is a process, right? We're well, going to have to go through this whole process now because I didn't realize it was all so quick and on
2: this like on the same day.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. Were you well connected with the other kind of applicants or what was that?
2: Yeah. So you apply to the university first and the university chooses some people to apply on. Then those people have become finalists. In Canada, there's six finalists for every one person selected. So like there's two people in Ontario who get it, for example. So they have 12 finalists or two in Quebec. So they have 12 finalists. We had six because we only have one in BC. But then you do like a dinner event with everybody where you, you kind of meet and greet with the, there's like six applicants and then. Seven judges, sort of adjudicators, and you do like a meet and greet with them. And so I really got to get to know them. And actually, a couple of them, one or two of them, were people that I actually had like known through something else. Or there was a bunch of Uvic people who, like University of Victoria people, who got in, who were extremely strong applicants. Um, And one of them who I actually had known already. So it was it was nice, and we got to connect beforehand. And like we all like met up and went together into the dinner. So it was really lovely you do the dinner, and then the next day you do the interviews, and then like by the evening you know.
0: That's so fast. It's a real yeah. quick
2: process, yeah.
0: When did you personally first apply?
2: I started to apply like in May, but I think I submitted my application in like September. Okay. So you submitted- So that's an- still
0: really September. fast.
2: Yeah. And then, so when did you find out then exactly? It was it was November, was it? Or- I found out like in November that I was a finalist. At the time I found out, I was in the UK traveling. So then I came home to do the interview and then like flew out like four days after the interview. It's, it's been such a trip. I applied for it, you know, with no intention that I was going to get it. I applied for it just thinking, you know, it'd be a good experience. It'd be a good thing to like get to a finalist and it'd be, you know, gravy if I got it. But it was not, not critical. Mm-hmm. I was I was doing it for the experience. And then, you know, even in the interview and in the dinner, like I felt like I was a good candidate, but I didn't feel like I was that strong. It was a really lovely group of people. And everyone was so incredibly interesting and had done such cool stuff that I was like, these people are going to get it. These people are doing amazing things it has taken more time to come to terms with the fact that's happened than it has definitely. to actually <laughs> apply for yeah. an
0: application to go through. And it probably really won't hit you until you're actually there and experiencing absolutely. it. No,
2: yeah. absolutely. It definitely, I definitely like, I was back in the UK and I got to like go by Oxford for a moment. And I was like, oh yeah, okay, I felt more real then.
0: Yeah. being the first transgender person in
2: canada a woman there has actually been other transgendered people in canada who have gotten it but it's interesting because i think it's it's an interesting flavor of the ways that media Mm. is interested in trans women specifically yeah and and you know the 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 old joke that like you know you talk to cis people about trans people it's like trans women are the entire monolith of it and trans men are like do they even exist i think it's a kind of indicative of that sort of dynamic in that there has been i think a trans man who's won it and there's been a non-binary person who identifies trans who's won it it was a little less publicized i think they were pushing it a little bit less themselves mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. but it's definitely like when i would talk to them talk to the media about it definitely i was like very clear that i wasn't the first trans person to get it and i wasn't for nah. the trans person in canada to get it but often that got lost in translation a little bit. Gotcha. Um,
0: and I think that's, I think that's a really interesting specification to make too, because I know when Sin and I, you know, I was trying to do as much research as I could, because I was mm-hmm. like, there's no, like, it's so hard to believe in 2023 you would like to hope that there'd be other trans people getting such an incredible opportunity. And yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think I was able to find anything. So that must've been the case that it was pretty. Yeah. I thought
1: to see, I thought the article that I had found, but I'm thinking now, no, it did say first
0: Canadian trans woman, maybe. Yeah. Yeah.
1: which is interesting i don't think any of the other winners were were listed or passed passed in there so it's nice to it's yeah. nice to have the perspective and i'm wondering then when you heard like from the adjudication and that did they share with you like what jumped out about like your answers to the questions or about the work no, research I have, no
2: i have no idea actually because you know it's i don't know why they chose me they called me 45 minutes after the last interview it could have been those 45 minutes could have been arguing and throwing fists and fighting over candidates or it could have been a unanimous thing. I, ha- I have no idea. I didn't connect with the entire committee as well. Like I connected with a few people really, really well, but you know, I don't know how the other applicants interviewed. I don't know what they were looking for. It's, it's, it's a pretty arcane process in that way, for
0: sure. Yeah. And so what did winning mean to you? Looking back before the process, like what were you telling yourself aside from, you know, I'm going to do this for fun or I'm going to do this for the experience? Like, what were you thinking in your head? You know, like, what if I do win?
2: Oh, I think I didn't allow myself to imagine what would happen if I did win. I didn't realize how much it was going to mean to me until I got it. The interview process itself was a really clarifying experience for me around what I would want to do with the Rhodes Scholarship. Because they ask you a lot of questions, like where do you see your research, where do you see what you're doing, where do you see the future, where do you see what you care about, why does that matter? And it was a really having to think about that and actually like really like put that into words and like market myself, I guess is the right way to put it. Made me realize the ways that I do want to engage. I think the significance of this scholarship for me is that especially I didn't know again I didn't know that I was going to be the first trans woman in Canada to get it until after I got it, and I was like I was like wait a second. I was looking at some of the other scar bars. I'm like, wait, there's actually no other trans people. I assumed there would be. I just hadn't looked. Mm -hmm. So I was like, Googled it. I was like, oh, there's actually only one other trans woman and she's from the US it was two years ago. And I was like, oh, I'm the first trans woman in Canada to get this. So I didn't know that until after I got it. And all of a sudden it really hit me that like, I feel a responsibility now to really take this and make something for it for trans communities. And I'm not sure what that looks like in the future I'm not sure where that fits in I definitely feel in receiving this scholarship that it has really clarified for me a mission to make something good with it and I think especially because the Rhodes Scholarship does have like a really awful past you know I don't think Cecil Rhodes is a particularly good person you know it has a a racist history it has a sexist history it has a colonial history an extremely colonial history this scholarship is going to be a lifelong journey of figuring out what do I make with that money that has this sort of history and how do I make something good out of it and what does that look like and can you make something good out of it and, and what does that mean to be a visible trans person? A really crazy thing for me was realizing I was the first trans woman in Canada to get this. And then realizing that if I wanted to post about this in like in my scholar bio about kind of something about me being trans, it would mean now for the rest of my life, I could never go stealth. Not that that was like a huge priority or anything that I was like planning on doing. But I think that when I began to transition, I was imagining, you know, have a fantasy of like you move somewhere new and no one knows you're trans and like you can just kind of exist in the world as not a trans person because I think it can be really hard often to exist as a trans person in the world. It was a real interesting experience of being like, oh no, this is like a commitment to be trans and that being trans is now a fundamental part of who I am and part of my story in a way that I hadn't always planned for it to be. You're
1: yeah. like at a fork in the road, maybe where you had to yeah. decide now, and that choice is kind of gone because it's going to be married to that identity. Is that right? Like exactly. When, yeah, yeah. And you're going to be in the UK and and traveling to different countries. Uh, obviously, you feel quite safe in the UK and, and that, or how do you feel like with
2: Oxford and having gone by there? and. A land of contrasts, as they say. You know, the UK. I think overall is terrifying. I mean, just the amount of transphobia that's been coming out of there, specifically in the last like couple months, has just—it's really ramped up in the last couple months, especially with this Scottish Gender Bill stuff Mm -hmm. and and all the culture war bullshit that's coming out of that. On that front, I'm a little nervous, frankly. But I know that the cities themselves. Like, I've been to Manchester, I've been to London, I've been to Glasgow. I was even in rural Scotland. And, you know, the people who knew I was trans didn't make a fuss about it. And the people who didn't know I was trans didn't know I was trans. So it didn't like it didn't didn't create issues. But I, you know, I do think Victoria and Vancouver are very trans friendly. And I think as far as I've talked to people, Oxford seemed pretty good. But there are professors there who I'm sure are not gonna be super trans friendly. And I'll have to navigate that, I'm sure. Part of getting the scholarship is that you know, there's a kind of the political take of like, trans people shouldn't have to explain transness to cis people. Yes. And and I, and I agree. But I think that like, as a white trans person who has a lot of privilege in a lot of other ways, that message isn't for me. Like, for me, if I don't explain transness and I don't make allies and I don't answer questions and you know help explain like my experiences to people and things get more transphobic, I have means of escape that will help me to avoid the consequences of a movement towards a more conservative and transphobic political environment. So I've always felt that like it's actually my responsibility as a trans person who has a lot of other privileges to be open to a- answer questions that might be a little probing and be open to be in rooms with people who are maybe not super trans approving, because I can and I actually won't face the consequences of my own failure to do that. And I think that has now played triple now with the scholarship that like, I think that there will be rooms that I'm sitting in where I'm around people who don't agree about my own rights. And I think that part of the responsibility I feel with the scholarship is to to be okay to sit in those rooms, even if it's uncomfortable because I was allowed into the room and not everyone is allowed into that room. And so it's important for me to, Take advantage of that.
1: Can I just jump in and clarify on one thing here? Because you said that a lot of people aren't allowed into the room and and that you were allowed into the room. And can I just, with all due respect, say you earned that space in the room, though? You're not just allowed in, you've earned it. And, you know, I'm just, it's such, you know, congratulations on that. And like you going in there too is, you know, hopefully um, people will see that you don't have to prove yourself, you know, to be there. You've Mm -hmm. you've earned that space and you have every right to be there alongside everybody else. And Mm -hmm. I feel like the energy that you bring like to this conversation, even in that, like you're going to rock it. Like you're just, um, and coming into it with just such empathetic forethought on how you can give to your community as well is just really incredible.
0: Yeah, it's very powerful. And especially, you know, for myself, I, I, I'm i also a trans person. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of internal dialogue, even within the trans community that we have to have for ourselves, because, you know, like trans mass people do have privilege in, you know, social situations, if they are being observed or seen as a, a man in our societal standards. So it's 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 important even as trans people that we reflect in kind of as you're saying, like as like white trans people, like we have so much privilege and it, it's a lot more comfortable for us to sit in a lot of these spaces, especially within academia, um, where, you know, indigenous, black, people of color historically have not been allowed to even enter that room to begin with. But for you to acknowledge that, I think speaks speaks volumes mm-hmm. um, about your your strength and the power that you bring into these spaces, especially mm-hmm. as a trans woman, because it just Thank brings you. those those levels. And I, and I greatly appreciate that. Yeah,
2: respect. of course. I think it's interesting being the first trans woman in Canada to get this and having all this other privilege. You know, and I, I, I do think I've earned this. I've worked my ass off. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But the ability for me working my ass off to yield the results that it did came from a lot of other places of privilege. The wealth security that I had as a kid and as a college student, not having to work a second job. You know, there's all these sort of like knock-on effects. So, I, and I, I think it's, you know, interesting to have all these other sets of privileges and then to also be the first trans woman Mm -hmm. in Canada to have this, I I really, I I think it's a milestone and it's great. I'm really looking forward to the milestone when somebody who's really underprivileged in some other way is able to get it as a trans woman because it's a clear thing that, hey, the trans thing is not a hindrance. It's -hmm. just another aspect of someone's life, another aspect of their flavor. That's a really exciting thing for me.
1: PASIS is all about connecting communities and thanks to support from TD Bank Group. Here's this episode's Connected Community Moment. So speaking of scholarships, Key like Flag Canada is a community partner with the Ted Rogers Scholarship Program. And they offer a scholarship every year. And we wanted to put it out there. It's specifically for LGBTQ2 plus graduates that are graduating post-secondary uh, program that year. And you can be eligible to get up to 2,500 yearly for up to four years. And that scholarship is open for application now. If you're involved with or want to connect With a PFLAG Canada chapter somewhere across Canada and get involved or have been involved. Be sure to submit your name, put it forward, and apply for the scholarship. The deadline for applying is March 22nd. And if you have any questions with that in my spare time, I happen to be a chapter lead with PFLAG Halifax. You can reach out to me at halifaxns at pflagcanada.ca and I will point you in the right direction.
0: This has been a Hey Sis and TD Bank Group Connected Communities moment because inclusion matters. I just quickly wanted to cite something that you said in the CBC mm-hmm. article because it really yes. stood out to me. You said there's something very powerful about coming into a scholarship that was not intended for you originally. And mm-hmm. I love that
2: kind of funny because you actually have no idea how Cecil would see me. <laughs> I mean, that scholarship was not intended for women originally. And so I don't, I don't know where trans women <laughs> go in on that. I mean, I think that's one aspect of me trying to figure out what it means to get this you know, scholarship that I, I don't feel like I agree with the, the politics of Cecil Rhodes. There's a lot of power to do something with the money that I don't think would maybe be approved of by Cecil Rhodes. And and I think I do want to separate Cecil Rhodes from the Rhodes Foundation now and they would be the first ones to say that Cecil Rhodes was not a good person Um, and they do say it what I'm trying to say is like it it feels somewhat subversive to take this money and do something very trans with it and very trans positive Mm. with it but I would be lying if that's not also I think one of the things that the foundation is wanting to do with the money too
1: Julia, if you can break it down maybe for us, what it's like being a trans chemist, and a bit about
2: then your specific focus of study. The chemistry department at University of Victoria was odd, and there was actually a, a high number of trans women there. And I don't know if that's like a computer science sort of like one of those weird one of those weird fields where you just get like a lot of trans women, or if it just was a fluke. But I think that it was it was interesting transitioning. I transitioned about three and a half years ago. Well transition. I came out and I don't know. It, it, it's been it's been a long, slow process of transitioning, but like it came out more publicly three and a half to three years ago. Was that your undergrad then? Yeah, during was my that... undergrad. I was like during my okay. undergrad, yeah. At the time I had already done a lot of like I'd worked with a lot of professors. I had done a lot of work. I was already kind of known in the chemistry department for doing a lot of stuff. So it was a bit of an interesting experience because I think that I already had a reputation a positive reputation within the department before I transitioned. So even if people's even if you know, people who may have not understood or approved or whatever, or got it, I, I think that being successful in a field is a great way for people to not really care what you're doing. Academia is weird in that like there's a lot of tolerance for nonconformity in that way. I'm really interested to see how it's going to be when I go to university of Oxford, where I'm not known already and I have to kind of reintroduce mm-hmm. myself to everybody. And I'm, you know, being at Victoria, I got to be a chemist first, and then I got to come out as trans. Okay. But in the future, I'm always going to have to be putting the trans second or first, but it's it's going to be mm-hmm. in the, it's going to be in the opening, the opening salvo of people uh-huh. meeting me.
1: Your transcripts then and everything, obviously, then you've changed your gender marker and yeah, your name. So your transcripts will all yeah. transfer over to you as as Julia yeah. Yeah.
2: Levy. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and so the and the work the work I've done with chemistry has been like there's like three kind of genres, one of them is very technical and not I think particularly interesting for non chemists and it's more of just like my own passion for like organic chemistry and like synthesizing weird compounds that's so that's like I've done a lot of work in like in the lab in that kind of f- field, um, but the other two that I think are really interesting and relevant and socially. Socially interesting as well is, I've, so I've done a lot of work in developing software for assisting with the education of chemistry. So, chemistry is a very 3D kind of field. You have a two dimensional drawing of a molecule, which is just like kind of sticks and letters and stuff like that. And then you have to imagine that chemical in a three dimensional space and imagine it interacting in a three dimensional way with other chemicals and things moving and flipping and rotating. In this three-dimensional space, that skill set of being able to visualize those three-dimensional transformations and interactions is a skill set that I have realized that not everybody has. And it that people's performance in chemistry is really determined by whether or not they have the skill set. And so I wanted to develop some software that like helped bridge that gap and allowed people to really visualize things in a three-dimensional sort of space. And that was the stuff that I I, I was initially a applying for the Rhodes Scholarship with the intention of really working on. I think having now gotten the Rhodes Scholarship, I really feel like I'm pivoting more towards the other aspects of chemistry that I'm more interested in, which is harm reduction. So I worked as like a tech at this drug testing place in Victoria to help combat like the opiate crisis that's you know bad everywhere in Canada, but especially bad in British Columbia right now. That work has been, I think, the most rewarding because I think that Chemistry doesn't have the most avenues always for social change and social consciousness. and I, But I think that I found a couple flavors of that. And I really want to continue to work on that. There's a lot of stuff around trans care and harm reduction. Because in the UK, mm. as I'm sure people know, the waiting lines for trans care are really, 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 really long. Mm-hmm. And you can go private, but it's expensive. People often have resorted to self-medicating. And there's a, there's a real gray market right now for hormones where you can, you can get hormones that are legal to have, but not legal to import. Um, and you're legally allowed to take them, but you can't legally get them into the country. So people are sort of getting the hormones in and then self-medicating with like injectable hormones mainly.
1: Which is really dangerous, right? If you don't get the levels right it can be dangerous
2: but it is a situation where the alternatives are worse i think that like if i was in that same situation this is exactly
0: what i would be doing for a long time there was a huge testosterone sort shortage shortage to I the had. degree that yes. i know some trans people who were sharing vials and such every
1: september it happens cuz they go on holidays i think a lot mm-hmm. of that production
0: those types mm-hmm. of situations where people you know assume that you're fine like for instance i haven't seen a primary healthcare mm-hmm. provider in probably 2 years but i've mm-hmm. been calling up being like, hey, can you refill my prescription? Like, there's no stability. I just wanted Mm -hmm. to quickly go back, Julia, just really quick on the harm reduction side of it. So in your position Mm. as a chemist, for instance, uh, there's a lot of like drug testing Mm -hmm. to make sure that there's no fentanyl or anything that could actually harm users. I don't
2: know how much you guys know about the opiate crisis and the details of it, but the supply chain shortages that occurred during COVID seriously screwed with the drug supply. Before COVID, when I was working it, working the drug testing, there was, you know, heroin that was sometimes had fentanyl in it. But you could have heroin and we sometimes saw Mm -hmm. we saw lots of clean samples of heroin. And so you could just test the heroin with a test strip and say, okay, this has fentanyl, it doesn't have fentanyl. It does have fentanyl, it doesn't have fentanyl. After COVID, there is no heroin anymore. There is just fentanyl. Mm -hmm. The heroin supply has is completely impossible to access now. And so it's fentanyl, but fentanyl obviously is a very strong drug. So it's cut with like mainly caffeine and people are smoking it, but people don't know often how much is in it. So sometimes you'll get like a sample that's 10%, sometimes it's 20% and sometimes it's 5%. And that can create a lot of overdoses for people don't know the actual strength of the drugs that they're taking. Right now, drug testing is the most important I think it's ever been in Canada. You know, we've gone from somewhat clean heroin to fentanyl that's not even clean now. That was one of my biggest passions when I was in school was working with that group. Um, and so how does that you know how does that interact with it? I just wanted to kind of get that. But how do I how does that interact with trans care? No. You know there there isn't as much fentanyl in the UK right now. Mm-hmm. I suspect that will not always be the case. I think that I think that it I suspect that fentanyl will make its way around the world in a much more global way than it, than it currently has. Um, but the way it works with trans care. So right now, the, the way I see it is trying to find ways to test the, the substances that people are self-medicating with, um, you know, the, the, the lab results, the figuring out labs for levels and stuff is a totally different section that I, it's much more health oriented, but the actual making sure that a drug supply is clean and making sure it is what people think it is, is something that I have a lot of experience with and something that I really do want to look forward to doing in the future if possible um there's lots of good groups in the uk doing that kind of work right now but there hasn't been a lot as far as i can see with coordination between universities in those groups so i'm hoping to maybe bring that bring that in if those groups want to do that
1: Can I ask, and just as we're slowly wrapping up, but sure. uh, you're off to Berlin tomorrow, and then you're going to be in the UK.
2: Is that right? As you're- yeah, I'm going to be in Berlin for like six-ish months, seven months. I'm not sure right now. Is this visa complications? Mm-hmm. It's a whole thing. <laughs> I was doing that like classic year abroad. Between undergrad and master's. And I was planning on actually doing two years abroad before I got the Rhodes Scholarship. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I'm cramming in as much travel as I can.
1: You, you, you need to do that. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Well, you're going to have a fabulous time. And I don't know. I can't wait to hear more about all of these ideas that I know are going to formulate at various times and yeah, maybe absolutely. not in the order you think they are. But uh, I really hope that you'll keep in contact with us. Yeah, I would
0: love to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is there anywhere in particular that listeners, for instance, who want to stay in touch, but may not have your email uh, can kind of stay in touch with you? Do you have like a website, a blog, social media, anything like I that? I don't actually at all.
2: Yeah. I, there may be a website in the future, but I've just now realizing that I have to maybe market myself. So <laughs> it's a new, it's a new thing on that front. I do have a link. Yeah, if you want to connect with me, go to go to my LinkedIn. I just made it like three days ago. So,
1: Perfect. Yeah. Oh, There you great. go. All right. Well, we'll put the link in the show notes and you keep in touch with us too, because cool. we would love to follow up, you know, a year down the road from now or mm-hmm. when when suits and, and hear how it's all going and, and even about your travels yeah. and that too. Sounds Amazing. great.
2: Cool. That's great. Thank you so much. It's been such a fun experience.
0: Thank you for, Thank for you. joining us. Yeah.
1: Well, safe travels and all the best. Thank you. Thank you.
2: That's all the time we
0: have today, folks. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Hey, Sis. The conversation doesn't have to stop here, though. If you would like to get in touch with us to ask us a question or share your story on a future episode, you can email us at connect at simplygoodform.com or visit us on our website at www.hasis.com.